you are nurtured and you are restored and redeemed and God begins to do all those things in you that need doing so that you can just settle down and walk with him. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. This week, we continue our new series on life after Adventism with a discussion about some of the common pitfalls former Adventists often encounter and ways they can avoid them. Pitfalls that were particularly set up for after growing up under so much cognitive dissonance and mind and culture control. Now, last week, we established that the inerrant Word of God is our only foundation and source for truth, and it will be from that shared confession that we'll base all of our future conversations in this series and from which we hope you'll test all that you hear us say. So the big question after leaving Adventism is what now? Who do I trust? How do I protect myself and my family from other controlling or false systems? If we aren't striving for salvation, how do we live faithfully and safely from salvation? One passage that sums up how we live after coming to faith is Colossians 2, 6-7, and it will be our repeating theme in this series. Paul says in verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And we know we received Christ by hearing and believing the word of truth. Now, this is how we continue to walk in the life after trusting him and his word alone. Paul goes on to say, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So we walk as we came by faith in the Lord Jesus and his gospel. We devote ourselves to the apostolic teachings in scripture, which rooted and instructed us in this faith. And we continue being built up in that faith, thanking God even and especially when the road is hard, and it will get hard. The truth is, Seventh-day Adventism and Ellen G. White left nearly nothing untouched by their worldview. There is much to relearn, and it's our goal with this new series to be as much of a help to new formers as we can be, given the distance between us. So to that end, we hope you'll engage with us in this series and that you'll send us your questions or comments as we go. We know that many of our listeners have been out of Adventism for many years, so we hope you'll write too with any advice or encouragement that you'd like to share with those who've just begun this journey. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Also, you can visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly emails or to view current and past online articles. There's a donate tab there as well if you'd like to come alongside us with your financial support as we begin to wrap up another year of ministry. If you're already a supporter, we thank you and we thank all of you for your prayers for us. Also, if you've been blessed by this podcast and find it helpful for those who are questioning Adventism, we'd love it if you'd go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review there. You can leave a starred review or a written review. Both help to promote the podcast to those who are searching for Adventist content. Also, you can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, but again, that email address is the best way to get us your questions and comments. So Colleen, here's my question for you. Okay. I've often heard you say over the years how much it grieves you to see former Adventists fight their way out of the cult of Adventism, only to be deceived or derailed by other false or heterodox systems. What do you hope to accomplish with this new series, and what do you hope for our listeners as they continue to walk down this new road out of Adventism? When we leave Adventism, just like you said, we are 
ungrounded. Mm-hmm. We know our paradigm in Adventism was false, but we don't really understand usually how false it was. And we don't know what to trust. I really want to address the things that I struggled with and the things that a lot of Adventists who leave struggle with when they write to me. Mm-hmm. There's so many similarities in the questions and the comments and the things that they face. And you know, I don't have hard and fast answers for every question. I have a reliable source, and that's scripture. So I want to address the kinds of doubts, the kinds of fears, the kinds of uncertainties that we all face when we come out. There's nothing new under the sun. We all face the same things because we came from the same worldview. And I really want to help my brothers and sisters who are struggling to leave Adventism and find life in Christ, I want to help them understand how possible it is to become rooted in truth, grounded in Scripture, and not to lose your ability to think. I mean, I know that when I came out of Adventism, I believed that fundamental evangelicals were anti-intellectual. And I resented the idea of moving into an evangelical community because I had been taught to think and scrutinize and evaluate. So for me, coming out into a Christian church, one of the surprising things for me was to discover we had an extremely intelligent pastor who had a great mind and a great memory, and that I was surrounded by other Christians who were very bright people. That was a shock to me. So I want to help people walk through the things that we all face and learn how to evaluate what they see and what they experience from a scriptural point of view and not be thrown off by human reactions that don't always understand us. Yeah. What about you, Nikki? I think that for me, it's it's much the same. I really want people to understand that the Bible is sufficient for everything that comes next. It's so easy when you leave Adventism to feel like you don't know which direction to go or who to trust. And then as you begin to move forward, you have so many internal doubts about Mm -hmm. your own ability to understand truth. And I know for me, it was very normal to sort of outsource authority, right? to go to the pastors or the people in my life that I looked up to and expect them to have these answers for me and to rely on that. It was almost like learning how to walk for the first time, coming mm-hmm. to faith and and allowing scripture to be the only source of authority in my life. And then it's so interesting how God uses his word to direct us to recognize other people who are using yes. the word of God as their only source for authority. And now once you have that established, once you have that connection established, that the word of God is everything... Mm-hmm. Now you have someone who can teach you in your life. Now you have someone you can trust because they trust God, like yeah. you trust God. And humans fail each other and systems fail each other. But you have that foundation, that shared foundation. And so I feel like um, if if I had <laughs> come out of the womb of Adventism, mm-hmm. understanding that from day one, I might have been a little less fearful. Right. If that makes sense. It does. Um, and and less vulnerable to mm-hmm. some of the things that were immediately introduced into my life, either through television. Uh, there were some TV evangelists that Carl and I listened to that were out there, and yeah. we needed course correcting with the Word of God. But I just remember, okay, I'm in the body of Christ now. 
everybody who says they're Christian is walking in truth and I can go anywhere and be taught by anyone and mm-hmm. we all believe the same thing and that's just not true. Right. There are pitfalls and there are ways to find people you can trust. It always comes down to the sufficiency of scripture. How, Absolutely. How do these groups and these people view God's word? That's how you know where to go. You know, I want to say to anyone who is on the cusp of leaving Adventism, you've discovered that it's not told you the truth. You've discovered that it foisted an obsolete covenant on somebody who claims to believe in Jesus. When you've discovered that Jesus finished the work of atonement and that if you trust him, you're saved, there is this wide open world, like you said, ahead of you. But Sometimes we intellectually understand that the gospel is a done deal, that Adventism didn't teach it, that Adventism has a false prophet. Some people decide they can't stay in Adventism anymore because it's a lie, but they haven't necessarily really trusted Jesus. Right. And I see this as the place we have to start this series. We started last week by trusting scripture, but after that, The next question is, have I? Have I trusted Jesus? Have I been born again? And if a person has not been born again, one of the most devastating things that I have witnessed over the last couple of decades is people leaving Adventism, being very, very certain why Adventism is wrong, rightly Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. but going out and becoming quite vocal and even attaining followings of people who listen to them, condemning and criticizing Adventism, but without being submitted to the gospel. And that's devastating because you're no better off outside of Adventism as an unbeliever than you are inside Adventism as an unbeliever. Yeah. And it makes me think of what Jesus said when he said, if, if you cast out these demons and sweep the house clean and they come back and they find it empty, they're going to bring more with them. I've seen that happen with people, and it's a horrible thing to see. It's easy to come out of Adventism and not know what to trust. It's easy to come out and say, well, the Jesus I knew then isn't necessarily anybody I can trust now, but I know I can't trust that church. (laughs) So you go off into the world or you go off into quasi-Christianity, but that's not belief. You need to know what you're going to believe. If you haven't acknowledged that you were born dead in sin, if you haven't acknowledged that Jesus literally finished the atonement by dying and rising from death, and if you haven't trusted that, that's the first thing, because that will determine the next step in your life after Adventism. So I just want to say that's the very first thing. If you haven't trusted Jesus, you're likely to develop another self-styled religion. You'll say, well, I'm not going to trust Adventism, but it's easy to develop your own set of what you think is important because you're counteracting your past with your own head. And that's no more truthful than the Adventist idea. What you're saying made me think of a verse in Proverbs chapter 3 that we all know, we've all heard but it came to life for me when I left Adventism and I realized that I had to obey the words of scripture and not place my understanding over it and not sit and ruminate on all of my thoughts and my questions and you know what's the best thing for me to do next. I had to read the Bible and mm-hmm. obey the Bible and all of that stuff just sort of started falling into place. 
it begins in verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. He will. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And I know that verse eight seems odd, healing to your body and refreshment to your bones, but I can't tell you how much trusting God and trusting His Word has dealt with my internal anxiety and the health issues that have come from it. I have had the same experience, Nikki, and I can remember saying that several years ago, in fact, in FAF, that even my physical health improved when I really trusted Jesus and knew that my future was secure with Him. And I didn't have to live in the anxiety of planning and getting all my ducks in a row and hoping I was ready for the future. No, I have Jesus holding me. And it's amazing how that helps to start clearing up even the physical symptoms of old trauma that linger with us, especially when we come out of a group like Adventism that has been spiritually abusive and often emotionally and even physically abusive. It makes me think of the failure to thrive syndrome. Yeah. You know, the babies who are not cared for and they end up with failure to thrive. And I think of the text that we read last week about those who are in idolatry, how their life will be, you know, uneasy before them, right? I can't quote it, but Mm -hmm. talking about the uncertainty and insecurity that they live with. And it was like an emotional failure to thrive living in Adventism. And then you come to truth, you are nurtured and you are restored and redeemed. And God begins to do all those things in you that need doing so that you can just settle down and walk with Him. That's so true. And I can't prove this to you. But I can tell you that this has been true in my life. And this is what that proverb even said. If you have dealt with the Lord, if you have grappled with the gospel and have trusted Him, from that point on, it's much easier to talk about how to avoid pitfalls Mm -hmm. because you're coming into it with a perspective that you know you have a new father and you can trust Him even if you don't fully understand. If you haven't dealt with Him, this is just a bunch of words and will sound like another formula. You have to know that there's two places to be in the universe. There's no middle ground. You're either in the domain of darkness, dead in sin, or you have been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. There's no in the middle. And if you have been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, Colossians 1.13, then how to navigate becomes possible because you know the person who is truth and you know his word is truth. So, as we've said before, everyone has an authority. And if we have decided, as we talked about last week, to trust the Bible, then we can start to evaluate things that are expected in the normal life of a Christian, like, where do I go to church? Um, How do I know which church is teaching truthfully? What about Calvinism? What about somebody coming to me with a word from the Lord? What do I do with these things? So, these are some of the things we're going to talk briefly about. Your life will bear them out. You will be able to evaluate them in scripture, but these are things we all face. So there are Christian religions around that have been here for hundreds of years. Adventism is relatively young, yes, you know, and there's a lot of rich history 
inside of each of them. And after leaving Adventism, I admit I was relieved to find a non-denominational church (laughs) because I didn't know where to begin. And I still couldn't instruct anyone in all of the differences between all of the religions. But what has become very clear is that many of them have these systems of organizing scripture and organizing covenants and organizing tradition. Mm -hmm that you don't necessarily arrive at if you just read the Bible cover to cover. And it takes learning, where is that coming from? You know, why do you believe that? It's it's almost like unpacking someone else's worldview. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when we come to faith just from learning scripture and we speak to people and we say, look at this, it says that we were chosen before the foundation of the earth. God is sovereign. We were predestined in Christ. Often I'll hear people say, well, that's Calvinism. (laughs) And I'm like, when I first came out, who's Calvin? I had no idea. The only Calvin I knew was Calvin and Hobbes. I did not know (laughs) what they were talking about. You know, and then somebody else will come and say, you know, if you say, oh, you're you're responsible, choose this day who you're going to serve. You're responsible with what you do with the, Mm -hmm. the gospel. You have to make a choice to submit. And they'll say, no, 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 no. No, that's Arminianism. And then it's like, oh, I have this new system I have to go learn. What is Arminianism? And so it became clear that there were all of these packages, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were in conflict with each other. I can't tell you how many times, because I went to a non-denominational church, I would be talking about something in the presence of two people who hold different isms in their head, and I'd be stepping on, on, you know, like in a minefield, stepping on bombs and didn't realize I was bringing up issues within Christianity, right? because I was just talking about what I was reading and learning and wondering about. And so that was really surprising to me. It's, it shocked me. It was, it was devastating in a way. And I thought, oh my goodness, what actually is true? <laughs> in the early days, we had the former Adventist Fellowship Forum mm-hmm. it was before Facebook had taken off. And we had a lot of active discussions and we had some very verbal, in a writing sense, <laughs> um, we had some very articulate uh, Calvinists on our forum who were former Adventists, and then we had others who were not. And the arguments would become so heated that as a moderator, it was almost difficult to manage. And I thought, I've got to figure this out. So I started reading some material to find out the history of Calvinism, the history of Arminianism, what they were, what their definitions were. And I started praying and asking God to help me understand what was true. And, you know, it was such an interesting thing. I remember one day there had been some kind of a really heated exchange between two people on the forum. And I was just begging God, show me what's true. Just please show me what's true. Because like you, Nikki, I was reading, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're elected, we're foreknown. Mm -hmm. And I was also reading, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is the work of God, to believe in Him whom He sent. All of this was in the Bible. And I'll never forget the day. I'm telling this because I was desperate, Mm -hmm. and I had been literally poring over passages of Scripture and praying to understand them. (laughs) I remember exactly where I was standing when the thought hit me, everything the Bible says is true. (laughs) Both of these, quote, extremes, both the ends of the pendulum, are true because they're both in scripture. And you know what? I don't have to resolve them. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest relief of my life. Now, it 
hasn't made people necessarily happy with me <laughs> because I can't tell you how many times Richard and I have heard from people who are say, oh, you're just Calvinist there at Life Assurance. Yeah. And then we'll get mail from other people who say, you're just completely Arminian. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, I actually believe what scripture says. And in God's eyes, from his perspective in eternity, which I do not have access to in a physical sense, nothing is in contradiction if he said it. Mm-hmm. For him, this all resolves. So if I'm trusting him, and if I'm trusting his word, I have to do, and this is where I got this word from our pastor when he preached through Romans, I can still see him, <laughs> standing in front of the church teaching through something in Romans 8, and holding his arms up and saying, we hold these things in tension. We don't explain them away. We don't try to resolve them and come up with a formula. We hold them in tension. And that has been such a relief. And the really interesting thing for me, Nikki, is that as I have held these apparently contradictory ideas in tension, they don't seem opposed to each other anymore. Mm-mm. They make sense. I don't have to have a formula. I know every word is true. We are foreknown, chosen in Christ, predestined, elected, and we must believe when we hear the gospel of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Both are true. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that that became really clear to me as I was navigating that sort of <laughs> battlefield is that just like with Adventism, you have people trying to represent the opposite view and they can easily misrepresent it. And so one group would misrepresent Calvinism and mm-hmm. you know Calvinism would misrepresent Arminianism and people would be talking in circles around each other and sometimes I'd see people saying exactly the same thing as if they're arguing. Yes. And and I realized I did not do a thorough study of either one of these and so I do not presume to have an accurate understanding of each of the isms. Yeah, I don't either. And so, and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. begin to say that my brothers and sisters who are in one versus the other are more Christian than the other. Absolutely not. I I actually tend to fall uh, very much into the sovereignty of God camp. (laughs) That is like, I delight in that. But I know that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have the gospel. And so, what my caution would be to a new former is the scripture taken at its own word is enough. Yeah. You don't have to go and package it. And and I understand wanting to understand Christian history and how people arrived in different places, but we have to hold human packaged systems mm-hmm. uh, loosely. Absolutely. And everything comes under scripture. Everything does. And it, it sometimes feels arrogant yeah. when you look at the long history, the incredible teachers of one system to say, yeah, I don't agree with you. Here I am. Right. Who am I again? Uh-huh. Taking you back to those Adventist thoughts, who am I to question this? But it's it's really all about scripture. If scripture doesn't agree with something that a long, rich tradition says is true, you can politely disagree with that long, rich tradition and submit to God's word. Yes. Now, this brings me to another question, which I hear a lot, and it's kind of related. And that is, where do I go to church? Oh, yeah. And you know, I don't have an easy answer for that. But what you just said, Nikki, about submitting to scripture, that really is the bottom line for me. You need to find a place where people honor the word of God, 
where people honor the gospel, where people honor scripture as the final word from God, Mm -hmm. and where they believe in the Trinity, the three-in-one, same-substance Trinity, if those things are present, these other issues are really secondary. Now, that's hard for us former Adventists to figure out, Mm -hmm. because we were taught that all the most important things were what Christianity considers secondary eschatology, how you view health, how you view all of these things that were primary to us are not part of the gospel. Within Christianity, there is room for disagreement on things that are not the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing we have to remember that as new believers, which is what we are when we leave Adventism, and it's hard for us to remember because some of us have been Adventists and Adventist teachers and Adventist pastors for decades, and we suddenly come into the gospel and we enter the Christian community, and it's hard to remember that we're new believers. But if we have just been born again, we're new believers. Now, God does redeem all those things that we learned very rapidly if we're taking our time to submit to Scripture. But we still have to remember that in the true church, the true body of Christ, Christ is honored, Christ is central, and there's room to disagree with these other things. So I remember very early on in my work with Life Assurance, I had a phone call from a man who was you know, all excited because he had discovered the gospel and he discovered Adventism was wrong and he was leaving, but he said, I can't worship at any of the churches I've been to. And I said, well, why not? And he says, oh, they teach the rapture and they teach hell. And I thought, oh my. Well, I just want to say, if you are afraid to join a church that teaches the rapture and teaches hell, you're looking at something that is secondary to the gospel. Now, I will say from this perspective, hell is related to the gospel, but it is something that came late to my understanding. It was the last piece that fell into place for me. And I don't expect people just leaving Adventism to have all of this stuff figured out. But you look for a place where Scripture is taught and Jesus is honored and the truth of the gospel is taught, and you can worship with them, even if you think you don't agree with their eschatology. Yeah, and I think that brings us back to what we keep saying, submit to Scripture. There was a good deal of intellectualism in Adventism, and we put ourselves over Scripture. We needed things to make sense, and if it didn't, then it was wrong. And so, if you catch yourself saying, I can't go to a church that teaches something that's in the Bible, (laughs) or I can't worship a God who would send anyone to hell, or yeah, the Bible says this, but that's your interpretation, you're creating an idol. Yeah. That's not submitting. You know what? Jesus told us some hard things. He did. He said some hard things. And he tells us things about the future that are really hard. I mean, forget hell. Let's look at his wrath <laughs> right. that he'll pour out on the earth. And there's hard stuff in there, but it's truth and it's reality. And when you submit to it and you understand the God who is telling you these things and who has planned these things and you come to know him, that stuff starts changing. It does. In you. Mm-hmm. The more I trust scripture, the more I trust the Lord Jesus. And the more I see that the definition of reality is not my perception. 
And I think that's one of the biggest differences between Adventism and true Christianity. I was disoriented when I started understanding that God is truly sovereign. He does not limit himself to honor my free will. No, he entered time in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus because he wanted to save us from our sin. And he has always been sovereign. Mm -hmm. It's never been me. He's not proving himself to me. Well, and think about it. He is the designer and creator of humanity. Any free will we have was sovereignly given to us. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. And we also cannot be freer than our natures. So if we're born dead in sin, we are not free to rise above that. And we have to believe Romans 3 when it tells us that nobody seeks for God, nobody pleases God, nobody nobody desires Him. He has to enter our darkness and open our eyes. We are dependent on Him from start to finish. Even our seeing the untruth of Adventism is from Him. It's not because of our intellectual perception. Yeah, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it says that we are born not by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but by God. That's right. By the will of God. Oh, scripture corrects so much, and mm-hmm. and we were taught so wrongly that you can feel like you're spinning on your heels, but if you can just set aside everything you thought you knew, right? repent of everything you thought you knew, right. and allow God to reveal Himself to you in His Word— it stops being a, a wrestling match with, no, I can't, I can't accept that, or I'm going to keep this, because you've already set it aside and submitted to whatever he has to say. Another thing that's new when you leave Adventism is learning that you've got to put your teachers to the test of Scripture. Yeah. You know, in Adventism, my teachers told me what the Bible said, <laughs> but as a Christian, even my pastors— have to be tested by the Word of God. I remember Gary Enrig saying from the pulpit more than once, don't take my word for this. Read the Bible, check it for yourself, test it for yourself. And you know, I, I'm very compelled by what it said in the book of Acts about the Bereans. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what we said was true. Now, that was Paul. That was the apostle Paul saying that about the Bereans. These Bereans were Gentiles, and they searched the Old Testament scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. That's what all of us have to do. We have to learn what is in the Bible so that we know if what we're hearing from the pulpit is true. Now, that doesn't mean we go into church um, sitting to see if there's any critical thing that we can come out and say, I disagree with the pastor. We owe it to both the church, the pastor, and ourselves to check out the statements of beliefs before we go, to see what kind of church it is, to see what their beliefs are. And as we sit and listen we can ask the Lord to show us what's true. We can ask the Lord to show us how to check things we're not sure about. This is not about giving ourselves the permission to be critics. This is about submitting to Scripture and allowing the Lord to teach us and to show us who we can trust. And you know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians what we ought to look for in a pastor. He's dealing with groups in the church who are following different teachers. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 10, 
it kind of starts there. He's saying, you know, some of you are saying, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And he's saying, we're just servants of Christ. Right. And he goes on and talks about how, if I can summarize it, their job is to stay in their lane. He says in chapter 3, verse 5, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor for we're God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And he goes on to say in verses 18 to 23, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God for it is written. He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And then in chapter four, verses one through two, he says, let man regard us, these pastors, let men regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's encouraging the church in Corinth not to look to these men to determine, you know, what what they think or what they believe about anything beyond yes. their stewardship, which was the gospel of Christ. They're all on equal playing field. That's right. Their job is to preach the word. So if you're following a pastor, and there are a lot of celebrity pastors right now who has a special message for a new group of people, for a new generation, a new time, and it's not mirroring the apostolic message, now you're following someone who is using that platform as a way to promote their personal wisdom, the wisdom of man, which is the foolishness of God. God gave his pastors and teachers the message he wants them to preach. So if you are following a pastor who just has the word of God open in your lap and is taking you through the verses, Mm -hmm. now you're somewhere where you can grow. That's right. Because they're being faithful stewards of the message God gave them. There are so many ways people can twist the gospel. And I've run into so many of these in my work with former Adventists over the years, there are certain pastors who teach a sort of what we might call hyper grace, for example. Mm-hmm. It's very appealing to fresh formers because they will say, there's nothing that you do that's important. Nothing you do. All that matters is trusting God. Sin is not in you when you've trusted God. Sin is external to you. It's true that nothing can save us. Nothing can save us except trust in Jesus. But it's also true that when we are born again, the New Testament is full of instructions for the born again in terms of how to trust God and how to live in love and how to live with responsibility. And it's not true that sin is something external to us. Romans 7 is very clear that even for those who are born again, there is a law of sin in the flesh, and there is a battle between what we know in our born-again self and in what our flesh is causing us to be tempted to do. This is a battle that will be with us until we die, but this is the battlefield where the power of God 
is made manifest in us as we trust him. Mm -hmm. So be very careful that you don't just hear a really appealing message that sounds like, oh, good, I don't have to worry about what I do anymore. Because it's true, you don't have to worry about being saved or lost on the basis of what you do. But scripture tells us we're still in sinful bodies. And that's where we learn to trust God. So just be careful. Just because a person is a celebrity pastor, you have to test what he says by God's word. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you won't hear some good preaching on occasion from some of these celebrity pastors. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's our job to test everything by scripture. Because you know what? When we come out of a cult, which is what we did, Mm -hmm. we are not equipped at the beginning to have automatic discernment. We have to submit our minds to scripture to know if what we're hearing is true. That celebrity pastor or extreme church group happens on the other end of the spectrum as well. I was recently on Facebook and I was reading from a group um, of women who are not Adventist, who have never been Adventist, but who are very confused about the covenants. And there was a startling and very disturbing thread about whether or not women should attend church when they're on their menstrual cycle. And it was shocking to me how many Christian women stay home when they're on their period. I had no idea. It was kind of heartbreaking, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And so you can get into these other groups that tend to be very like holiness means keeping the old covenant. Yeah. That's how you express your holiness. And these are Christian churches. Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming churches. Yeah. There's a wide spectrum of of ideas and, and church groups that you can get involved in. And you know what? I would say that a true Christian can go and sit next to a family who keeps their women home on their period <laughs> and proclaim the gospel and love the Lord and worship together and as we grow in our confidence in scripture, I think that we're able to chew and spit. Right. We're able to find the truth that that correlates with scripture that's real that we can celebrate together and then to see the things are well, I don't agree with you on that and we don't come apart. <laughs> we don't dismiss them as non-believers. Right. You know, I remember hearing Gary Inrig and I I do quote him a lot because he's been my pastor for over 20 years and he was a gift of God to us as we were leaving and as we were growing this ministry. He was teaching a class at one of our very early FAF conferences on how to find a church. And it was from him I learned that the gospel, the integrity of scripture, and the truth of the Trinity have to be central and that everything else is secondary. And he was saying that there are like um, the primary level, then there's a secondary level and a tertiary level where you might agree or disagree. And he actually said something that was very helpful to me. I would have never been able to figure this out on my own in my recently Adventist mind. But he said, if you have the gospel in common, the true gospel of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, the reliability, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the identity of the Trinity, if you have that at the core, you can have fellowship with other people who believe the same thing, even if you disagree with some of these secondary issues, such as the timing of eschatology, the timing of the rapture, the nature of the rapture. If you have disagreements in these secondary areas, 
whether or not the Old Testament ritual laws have any application, but you actually believe in Jesus, you can have fellowship. But then he said this, some of those differences might be significant enough that you will not be able to worship in that church mm-hmm. because you feel convicted about those secondary issues at a level. But it doesn't mean you break fellowship with the true believers in that group. And that was a new way to think for me. Now, I personally would not be able to have sustained membership in a church that held to any of those old covenant rituals. No, me neither. And and in fact, I think it's worth mentioning that at the end of that thread, she asked the question, if we're saved by grace and not by our works, what about Leviticus? Yeah, she and didn't know the covenants. No, she didn't know the covenants. And um, so I, I do believe this is kind of one of those places where God has prepared us in advance for some work to do I agree. and to help people um, with, with their understanding. Because it wasn't that she was completely convicted. She was confused. Right. She didn't know what to do or how to merge the two ideas. They they're incompatible, and she saw it. That was like, that was like one of those stage lights that fell yes. that we talked about. <laughs> and she needs somebody who understands the covenants to help her figure it out. And that's iron sharpening iron. We yes. need each other. Yes. So, you know, I want to add to when we're talking about finding a church and integrating with the body of Christ, I think one of the most important things that I had to learn was a proper hermeneutic. Because when I came to understand how to read the Bible, I was able to hear people give me messages from God (laughs) and say, yeah, thank you, but no, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) God God knows my number. Uh, and and it did guard me from a lot of different groups that wanted to intentionally overtly pull me in or even through honestly the influence of music right you know you get in you hear a song you love the song you look them up they're attached to a church that teaches things that don't go with scripture and when you know how to read your bible you're able to test those kinds of things and navigate around some of those pitfalls that other people who really aren't versed in scripture can fall into very easily. That brings me to the issue of some of the common materials that Christians have embraced that actually aren't Christian in their origins at all. Mm -hmm. It's a little shocking to me how many Christian churches have picked up things such as the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. the personality Mm -hmm. study, and said, you can learn to understand who God made you and how to worship God according to your personality by understanding the Enneagram. Well, the Enneagram was not something that is from ancient times. It was actually delivered to its inventor in a spiritual experience somewhat similar to Ellen White. Also, things like the book Jesus Calling, I'll call it out by name. It's written by a woman who claims to hear and have messages from God. You know, I want to say to my brothers and sisters who are coming out of Adventism, do not be deceived into another quasi-prophetic movement that's not scriptural. Check things out. Read about the sources of what you're reading and what you're studying. And just because a church is teaching it, do not assume that it's necessarily something that God has given us. I want to throw out a name there. Um, I met a woman several years ago, and she has a great website called Christian Answers for the New Age. Her name is Marcia Montenegro, and she used to be a professional astrologer 
and she is a true, committed, born-again Christian who does a lot of lecturing on the new age and the way it is couched and deceptively brought into Christianity. If you ever have questions about some of these things, check out her website. She's written about a lot of these things, and I consider her a very safe source. And I mention her because, quite frankly, Adventism, for all of its whitewashed exterior, was a prophetic movement with a false prophet who had messages from Satan. So we really are vulnerable to these things, whether we think we are or not, until we realize that we have to check them by scripture and by people who know. There are definitely a lot of trends in Christianity, and they change over the years. If we are being honest, we have to admit that Seventh-day Adventism was trendy. Oh, yes. It was a trend. Christianity is very old. But Seventh-day Adventism came along out of the Millerite movement in the 1800s. At the time, it was a trend. And all of the grief that we experience now is the fruit of that trend. If somebody at that time had compared what was going on, all this new stuff, with the Word of God, they could have dealt with it. Yeah. And I think some people did, and, and some people left. And I think of the families who were spared because their ancestors did the hard work of discerning. Including, and that's incredible. Including Dudley Canwright. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He did study and no one left. Yeah. In spite and, of what they say. And so every choice we make right now related to current Christian trends, and if we're willing to test it to, against scripture, imagine the lineage that we are protecting. It's not just us. I want to say this in direct relationship to what you just said, Nikki. One of the things I've seen over the last couple of decades is the tendency of former Adventists who are Christians for them to support their ideas by quoting various Christian authors. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think being widely read is a huge gift from God. It's an asset, and God has given us great teachers and writers over the years to help us understand the Word. That is a legacy He has given us. But if you really want to know about the specifics of a teaching or a doctrine, it's the New Testament where we have to go back and look. It's not the writings even of great Christians over the years. Great Christians will confirm what the Bible says if they're writing truthfully. And that's a great secondary source. But one of the things that has been most important to Richard and me as we left, and it still remains important to us, is our commitment to each other as we left, that we would from then on study the Bible and use commentaries only as a last resort. Now, that does not mean we never use them. But what I mean is, if you have a good Bible translation with marginal references that connect verses with their sources when they're quotes, verses with concepts that are in other places in Scripture, and you use those marginal references to get a bigger picture of what Scripture is saying, the Bible itself will direct you. Commentaries always reflect a person's beliefs. That may not be a bad thing, but it can't be the first place you go to understand a passage. You need to ask God to show you what the passage means. And only kind of as a last resort, you go and see, have I figured this out right? And then you look at a commentary from someone that you trust or that you know has an excellent reputation and that other Christians that you know are also trusting. Commentaries 
are the last thing, not the first thing. Even if these writers have long gone home, right? we have to test them against scripture the same way we would a pastor that we were looking at eyeball to eyeball. Absolutely. No human can be as authoritative or as knowledgeable as the New Testament and the Old Testament given to us by God. And here's where I keep coming back to when I start thinking through these things and how can I make my faith something that's actually true, dependable, and biblical? I think, you know, if I were a woman in Zimbabwe, I guess, who didn't have an education, who didn't have a lot of money, um, who maybe worked a farm with my husband, and I had to do a lot of harvesting and had kids to care for, what would I know about truth? I might only have a Bible. Mm -hmm. I might have no access to any commentaries. And I would have to test anything I heard a pastor in my village say, or a pastor on the radio. Do you know how many people around the world hear preachers on Adventist World Radio in their own languages? I would have to be able to test anything I heard against something, and the Bible has to be enough. And God has given us a book that with His Spirit showing us what it means, it is enough. Mm -hmm. And that has to be enough for me. That doesn't mean I won't read other people and understand things, but it's not the first place I go. So that means that if you're hearing a, a teaching from a pastor here in the United States or in Canada or wherever you're listening from, if you're sitting in church on a Sunday and your pastor's preaching a message that that same woman in Zimbabwe could not get from scripture alone, that's a red flag. That's a good way to put it. So after coming out of the Adventist system where we are taught how to think. I mean, it really does go back to the mind control. Mm -hmm. We're taught how to think, how to stop thoughts, how to manage our behavior. And then we come out and we're faced with so many other systems, some of them really solid, great systems, some of them offering us more packages of what to do, what not to do, how to handle life. We have to learn how to rethink. We have to rewire our brains according to scripture, you know, Mm -hmm. not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the Word of God alone. And so really, we come back to, and we'll keep coming back to over and over through this series, that Scripture is how we walk after Adventism. Yeah, This is how our faith is built, by growing in our knowledge of God, by devoting ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, by walking in the same way we came. We came by faith, And so we walk by faith and we trust God's word alone and it will pull us out of the pitfalls that we will fall into. Right. (laughs) And it will show us in advance the pitfalls that we're heading towards. And as we trust God and his word and not our own understanding, he really does direct our path. He will bring people around us to help us. Mm -hmm. We can pray that he would protect us from being deceived and we can know that it's going to get hard sometimes, and you can't avoid every pitfall. We didn't avoid Adventism, did we? But God uses that pitfall. He redeems it. There's not really a clean and easy way to walk out of Adventism and into truth, but there is an infallible, inerrant source to help lead us. It's a very important thing for me to remember that I want to help the people I talk to also to remember. And it's very foreign, actually, to the way I used to think as an Adventist. But that is to thank 
God. Mm-hmm. That command to give thanks in all things, praise God, give him thanks, is in both Testaments from start to finish. If something is that important that it transcends all the covenants and is included in all the promises of God, then I have to take it seriously. I have to thank him even when I can't see. And you know what I've learned as a Christian that came out of Adventism? I have learned that the command to give thanks is based not on, here's a rule, keep it. It's based on the reality of a sovereign God who cannot lie. Mm-hmm. And that I did not understand as an Adventist. I always felt like his promises were conditional upon my obedience and my willingness to, you know, be good or to do what he told me. And then if I was good enough, I would get the blessings. God's promises, his unilateral, unconditional promises that he gives his people cannot fail. And when I trust him, I can thank him even when I can't understand what's going on because he said he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He has sent his spirit to me. He will reveal truth to me. He has given me his word. His word and his spirit have brought me to life. That means that even when it looks like things are confusing and maybe even desperate, they're really not because he is holding my life. And I've learned that even sometimes I have to say to him, thank you for what you're doing that I cannot see. Show me how to trust you. Hold my heart in peace. A prayer that I often pray is that he will plant me in truth and reality and keep me from deception. In fact, I often pray that God will reveal himself to Adventists and that he'll expose the spirit of Adventism and lead people out, but not just lead them out, but plant them deeply in the truth of his word, because that's the only place of safety. And that's how we learn what's real. Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts will deceive us, even as Christians. And sometimes I just have to step back and say, Father, take care of me. I don't know what's real right now. I don't know what to do with this situation, but I trust you and I'm asking you to show me what's real. And he always will. He does not trick us, and his word really never fails. So if you have not trusted Jesus and his word, I just ask that you think seriously about what the Bible says about our natural condition. We're born dead in sin. But when we trust Jesus, he brings us to life. He gives us his resurrection life, and he gives us his spirit, and he shows us how to walk. It's no longer a life of anxiety. It's a life of difficulty, but it's a life of hope and peace and trust because we have Him and we have His Word. If you have questions or comments for us, you can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly emails or to view current and past online articles. And there's a donate tab there as well as if you'd like to come alongside us with your financial support. You can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us next week as we talk about how to manage the matrix. If you listened last week, you know that we made reference to that movie when we described what it was like interacting with our Adventist friends and family after we've come to truth and been born again. So don't miss it. We'll see you then. 